Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Jam Journals is a proud partner of Yesterday's Concert Podcast and member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. The small 1,000-person club was packed to capacity. Sweaty body parts bumped against strangers and spilled their overpriced mixed drinks. That stopped no one from rocking out, though. Fans screamed and threw their arms in the air as the band began the night's final song. The guitar sustained over the crowd before the guitarist ran his hands off the neck, creating a powerhouse of feedback. I could hear him scream off microphone midway back from this stage. Hit it! The drums slammed with chaotic fever. Noise reverberated from every surface and vibrated the floors beneath me. Sweat dripped loose and rolled down the side of my face as I banged my head with the chugging rhythm. The energy roared with such intensity that a fudged note would only enhance the experience. This was the song I'd been hoping to hear all night. The Black Keys hit the final note and the guitarist and singer Dan Auerbach thanked the audience for showing up. Thanks for coming, you guys. They exited the stage, the house lights go up, and the audience that was once bursting at the seams was now spilling out onto the Memphis streets. Man, you know that's the last time we're going to see him play in a venue that small, one fan exclaimed to his friend. It's a phrase that I've admonished before, but this time I had to agree. Even when the tour was announced, we all knew it was going to be true. The Black Keys were hot off their most recent album, Attack and Release. The 2008 release was a shift from their garage band, lo-fi, muddy blues rock. The production was cleaner, the songs more accessible, it signaled a band and transition. Their next album would either take them into the stratosphere or ruin their careers. But after the performance we witnessed in that tiny club, there was no doubt what the next steps would be. Arenas, festival headliners, sold-out tours, platinum albums, groupies, and blow. Along with 999 other fans, we saw an experience we knew would never happen again. For our ticket price, we'd be sitting in the upper deck of Insert Big Corporate Sponsor Arena. This was a moment we'd never forget. Except, I just pulled one of the greatest cliches in modern storytelling. My real memory of that night is a little different. 90 minutes south of Memphis in Oxford, Mississippi, I sat on my friend's couch listening to Fish with my stoner friends. Yeah, that's right, I did a dream sequence. None of them wanted to go see the Black Keys. They hardly even knew who they were. I couldn't find anybody to go with me, so I skipped the show. Even then I knew it would be the final chance to see them in a club. But there I was. Instead of memories, I was forging regrets. Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and lonely boys. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode of Jam Journals, we open our pages to October 1st, 2019. Grab your earplugs as we go to the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee for the Black Keys. Summer 2008, I was to transfer from a local community college to the University of Mississippi. 
my first year at big boy school. Rather than preparing my class schedule, buying dorm necessities, and following up on orientation friends, I was scouring tour dates. While my range was set for 400 miles, I was primarily focused on Memphis, the closest music town to our college. I'd already built a nice fall itinerary and was certain I'd hit every show. Classes would have to wait. My yet-to-be-formed tribe of hippies would travel the southeast between classes and football games to see the music we loved. Four months later, I was pleading with my friends to hit a show by a little two-piece garage band named The Black Keys. They were playing at a small club at the end of Beale Street, and although I rarely had to pull anyone's arm for live music, this one didn't move the needle. Dude, come on. It's only 25 bucks. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. I'm driving. What's it matter? You'll never see them this small again. None of the band's charm worked out as a selling point. Finally, after several days of pleading, I scratched next to the event on my calendar. There were no takers, and I spent the night on my friend's couch listening to the same fish shows while getting high and playing FIFA on Xbox. I've tried to live a life with minimal regrets. Unfortunately, thus far, I can confidently say I have enough fingers to count the ones that keep me up at night. I don't like dwelling on the coulda, shoulda, wouldas in life. However, whether missed opportunities or hindsight is 2020, there are only a few regrets that still linger, but there's one that's plagued me for years. Commercial success was kind to the Black Keys in the following years. They went from a small club band to headlining major music festivals. Their next two albums went double platinum, peaking with their top three charts in the United States. Two years later, when all my friends were raving about their album Brothers, it took all my energy not to unleash a fury on their laziness. When they were getting shut out for tickets at large venues, I wanted to remind them of having the opportunity to buy tickets on the day of the show at a venue that held just over a thousand people. But I took the high road, allocating all that petty emotion to myself. I had a car, the 20 or so bucks for entrance, and the desire. So why didn't I just fly solo? In the end, there was no one to blame but myself for not seeing one of music's hottest acts before they struck the big time. I held on to that regret for a long time. As pretentious as claiming a band before they were big can be, there's still a sense of pride in seeing a group in the early days. Even if we disregard bragging rights, there's a stark quality in the difference in show experiences. But when comparing a performance at, insert corporate sponsor arena, versus a local club, is a night and day difference. Larger rooms like amphitheaters, arenas, stadiums, while special in their own ways, can suffer from overpriced tickets, poor acoustics, stage proximity, traffic woes, and other discomforts that leave fans disappointed. Regardless of your spot in a club, the energy is inescapable. Performers can reach into the crowd and touch the person standing at the bar. They feed off the physical energy, and it creates an intimacy that makes concert goers feel like they're part of the band. In the years that followed, I gave up on seeing the Black Keys live. Despite a passing interest in their studio work, I chose to forgo the live experience. The idea of paying $100 to see the Black Keys headline a large arena was unappealing. The opportunities were numerous, but with every tour announcement, regret was always there to remind me of the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Looking to the rafters, I scanned the section numbers. 222, 223, 224. That's row A, so that means that's row G. One, two, three, four, five. That's my seat. I stared at the seat for a second, noticing the lack of warm bodies in the area. Then I looked at the opposite direction. Roughly 25 yards away was the stage. I eased into the seat behind me and felt a little ping of glee for the breaking the rules. You're such a naughty boy. I didn't pay for the seat my body rested in. 
but I did buy that one in the upper deck. Earlier that summer, the live music overlords held a large sale of discounted tickets for select shows. Even with all their just-because-we-can fees, I popped out a seat in the upper deck for $25. Terrible seat, but it got me in the door. Prior to purchasing, at best I was mildly interested in this show's performance, but not with the significant cost they were asking. Excuse me, I think you're in our seat? A couple stood at the end of the aisle looking confused as their ticket matched an occupied seat. Playing dumb, I glanced down at the seats and asked what row this was. What row is this? Oh, oh gosh, guys, I am so sorry, that's on me. I'm on row D. Silly me. Sorry about that. I gathered my belongings, slid out of my seat, and moved even closer to the stage. For months, I'd had an eye on this show. I saw the tour announcement, the eventual lack of sales, and the midsummer price slash. But where the show had still been selling poorly, I became the benefactor. Right before walking into the venue, I checked the seating chart to see what lower bowl sections hadn't sold out yet. I walked into my desired section with the confidence that I belong, pretended to check my phone for my seating assignment, and grabbed a seat that cost three or four times what I paid. I believe this is my seat, I said, pointing to an aisle seat in the front row of my section. Oh, my bad, let me move my jacket, my new neighbor said. Confidence. 60% of the time, it works every time. The room goes dark and the stage is illuminated by a row of lights. It's nothing fancy. It wasn't an arena light rig, more like a club setting. The Black Keys duo of Dan Auerbach and Patrick Carney took the stage. Their backing musicians were hidden in the shadows. Nashville, how you doing? Let's get it moving right along. Dan welcomes the audience. Yes! The song that started it all for me. I was a moving man in my younger days, but I've grown out of my rambling ways. Patrick slammed the drums with the ferocity of a caged animal. This wasn't a young band playing in a small club to earn their keep. This was a well-seasoned duo that knew the ins and outs of supplying an arena-sized satisfaction. There may not be a better opening track in the Black Keys catalog. I got mine just slaps, way too hard. The few people who thought they'd get to sit down and enjoy the show realized they were sadly mistaken. Those drunk enough headbanged while the rockers slayed their imaginary axes, and others airbanged like a hippie drum circle. Even though I felt like a speck in the infinite universe, the space felt more cordial than the distant galaxy that sat between the stage and the upper deck. It wasn't a club show, but the band still held on to the intimacy of what I assumed those early days felt like. That's Patrick Carney on the drums, Dan said. The crowd erupted in appreciation for the explosive opening performance. As the band started the next song, Eagle Birds, from their most recent album, Let's Rock, the stripped-down club stage began to feel a little bit more like an arena rock show. A large video screen illuminated the back of the stage. Dan's face was now three stories tall. I guess the opening song was just an homage to the early days. Before I go any further, I should confess that after missing the New Daisy show, my fandom took a nosedive. Aside from a passive listen to the new albums, the group largely fell off my radar. After the band exploded, I knew I'd never get back the days of the raw, lo-fi garage band blues rock. What initially tracked me to the band was now absent. I know the hipster diehard will say Thick Freakness or Rubber Factory were their best, and that might be the case, but Brothers and El Camino are the albums. Those are the ones that are chock full of the hits, the big ones. Those were the albums that introductory rock fans turned to. They're the ones that new record collectors buy on vinyls. Note, 
The plural vinyl is still vinyl, kids. The more you know. So I went into the show expecting not to know much of the set. I liked the Black Keys. I thought they made good music. But I'd be lying if I said the primary reason I was there wasn't vindication. As the band started gold on the ceiling, it dawned on me that I might know more about this set than I realized. Their music had enough commercial success that even someone who was a passive fan at best could still recognize a few tracks. I'd heard these songs in grocery stores and commercials. You don't get to play arenas without a few hits. Songs like Howlin' For You, Fever, Next Girl weren't the pre-attack and release tunes I'd spend any time with, but they were so ingrained in my cultural experience that I could even sing along. Oh yeah now, we're gonna play an oldie but a goodie, Dan told the audience. Dan struck the guitar and a huge distorted chord rang through the arena. The cold concrete walls reverberated against the empty seats in the upper deck. 10 a.m. automatic was the kind of heavy hitting throwback I was hoping for. This was the Black Keys that would have played at the New Daisy, the version of the band that originally roped me in. The song was heavy, like a lo-fi classic rock legend. That crunchy guitar tone was, whew, I need to give myself a second. It was the dream of every garage rocking team. This was the classic Keys. I don't mind the new stuff, but this was why I purchased that $25 ticket. So many friends and family here tonight, we're losing money. We're gonna play another oldie but goodie, Dan said. The magic potion banger, Your Touch, was another delivery of nostalgia and reconciliation. We were about halfway through the show and I was already feeling rectified for missing the new Daisy. It wasn't going to be the same. It never was. It wasn't even possible. But for the price, it was tough to complain. Part of my initial attraction to the group was their stripped down sound. Where a trio is all the essentials, guitar, bass, and drums, the duo is an even more primitive excuse for a band. Guitar and drums. The main components of the classic garage band sound because there's nothing to fill the gaps. It takes a lot of noise to make that work. Accompanied by three additional musicians, two guitarists and a bassist, the duo adopted a more polished sound in the years since I had paid attention. Rather than hide them behind a partition, the band plopped them front and center right between Dan and Patrick. The Black Keys wanted you to notice this wasn't a duo anymore. But their expanded sound sanitized everything about my first love. Sure, they were objectively sounding better. The additional guitars rounded out the band's sound. The bass provided some glue and connected the pounding drums to the white hot lightning guitars. Whereas in a duo, their mistakes were exposed and pronounced. With a supporting cast, they not only expanded their sound and repertoire, but eased the burden of energy. But that's not to say the additional musicians sucked the energy out of the room. On the contrary, songs like Your Touch, Strange Times, Tighten Up, and Lonely Boy slapped so hard it had the crowd in a frenzy. For all the highlights of the misconnections, the show's shining spotlight performance was Little Black Submarines. The moment the song started, the crowd roared. They knew it was coming. I was not prepared. The crowd screamed the lyrics to the soft intro. But everybody knows that a broken heart is blind. The song faded and the stage grew dark. The crowd cheered even louder. I could feel the growing sensation of looming danger. The band seemed to pause forever. Was the show over? What's happening? The guitar ripped through the silence. It ran through the chords. Patrick slammed in on the drums. And through an upheaval of noise, the band resumed the song. It was rage-inducing, and the crowd jumped in rhythm. The song was huge. The cues were explosive. I think I got why everyone was so excited. 
One more time, that's Patrick on the drums. My name is Dan, and we're the Black Keys. We're from right up the street. Y'all help us out on this last one if you can. The band finished the set with Lonely Boy, the top-notch set closer, even if the penultimate song had been the set thief of the night. Naively thinking that was it, I dipped during the encore break. But it didn't matter. I'd seen the Black Keys. My revenge had been made. It wasn't a thousand-person club, but it was still the same two guys rocking the same garage rock songs. Over the next few years, the unexpected happened. I saw the Black Keys again. And again. Three times in a four-year span. One of those shows, I even took a buddy to see them for the first time. And the Black Keys are his favorite band. It was serendipitous. Maybe we were just making up for the lost time. About three weeks after that Nashville show, I was back in Bridgestone Arena. This show wasn't the crazy rock experience like I saw the last time. It was the newly minted country sensation Casey Musgraves. My wife and I made it a date night, a show that we could both enjoy. Between openers, I saw an opportunity to hit the concession stand. I'm going to go grab a water. Do you want anything? I asked my wife. Yeah, will you grab me one too? I pulled two waters from the grab-and-go station outside the club suites and paid the cashier. As I walked back to my seat, I saw a middle-aged man about my height approaching the same refrigerator I had just left. He was picturesque cool, but then again, everyone in Nashville has that swagger. His brown hair swooped to the side and his beard had slight hints of gray. His black leather jacket was something only a rock star could pull off without looking like a try-hard hipster. Wait, that is a rock star. That's Dan Auerbach. My body snapped to double take and Dan's friend noticed my reaction. He had a quick laugh at my realization. I stopped walking, unsure how to put foot in front of foot. I looked both ways. Was anybody else seeing this? That's Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys. He's buying peanuts right there, guys. I gotta go say hello, right? No, don't bother him. Let him enjoy his night out with having some weirdo fan approach him. But that's Dan Auerbach right there. Come on, man, just let him be. My subconscious moved me without recognition. Stop, stop, stop. Let him be, man. I was working my way back to the grab-and-go station. I'm walking towards him. Hey, Dan, I just wanted to say thanks for the music. I really enjoyed your show here a few weeks ago. Dan grabbed his peanuts and made eye contact. Oh, cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. His body language was a man disappointed he'd been caught. He didn't seem unhappy to be interacting with a fan, but it was obvious that I shouldn't linger. Is there any chance I could get a quick pick? I asked. What are you doing? Why did you just ask that? He obviously doesn't want to be bothered. But when am I going to get to meet Dan Auerbach in the wild again? No one will believe my story if I don't get the pick. Dude, you're a jerk. Uh, yeah, sure, man. He shuffled his peanuts and drinks into one hand. The guy who was laughing at my double take earlier was now slightly annoyed that I was holding his buddy up. My phone camera was already out and ready. I don't even remember doing that. But when the moment came, I was prepared. We snapped the pit. I thanked him again, and on the way he went. I scooted away quickly to give him the space he so obviously wanted. Sitting back down next to my wife, I guess I had a crazed look in my eyes. Are you okay? She asked. I just met Dan. Who is Dan? Dan Auerbach, the Black Keys. I showed her the picture and sat in a gaze. It was a jerk. I broke a lot of fan code that night and I regretted bothering him. But it all happened so fast. The teenage Lance that saw all musicians as mythical rock stars had taken control. They weren't humans to him, but rock and roll deities. The longer that night went on, the more I regretted bothering him. 
Hopefully I was the only fan dumb enough to approach him during his evening out. Even with my regrets, I, I couldn't resist myself. I posted the picture on every social media channel I had. But to me, the real payoff was the reconciliation. It was a consolation prize from the Cosmos for missing that club show in 2008. Then again, I've seen the Black Keys three times in four years, so that might have been enough reconciliation too. And I'm just a jerk. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Jam Journals and reliving one of my favorite concert memories. Have you seen the artist before? How was your experience? Similar? Better? Worse? Let us know on social media, at Yesterday's Concert. We're on all the channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Give us a shout or shoot us an email at info at yesterdaysconcert.com. Until next time, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and check us out at yesterdaysconcert.com. And don't forget, take care of your shoes.